0: Welcome back to the Cycling Tips podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fritz. I wish you could see my amazing background. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, in fact, you will be able to see my amazing background. I have antlers today. We're back with another fantastic episode of the Cycling Tips podcast. Got most of the usual crew: Dane, Jose, James, Abby, Shoddy Dave. We're gonna be talking about all kinds of stuff today. I was gonna say you. You said most of the most of
1: the usual crew, but who's missing?
0: It's the whole crew. I like how you said most. The that, whole that, that
1: crew,
2: just in case. I, I'm I'm all for hedging your bets like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what if we want to add talent at some point throughout the year? It's just most for now. Today we are going to be talking about Cyclocross Worlds, which happened over the weekend, plus EF's new uh, trolling kit. Some road racing that actually happened. Very exciting. Uh, Some other road racing that did not happen. We have a very important debate today. It's going to be electronic versus mechanical shifting. It is Shoddy versus James coming up later in the episode. Plus, in today's Nerd Alert, which by the way, we are looking for a new name for Nerd Alert because, well, people are getting confused because we have a whole other podcast called Nerd Alert, so we need to rename this segment, something. We don't know what that's going to be yet. Anyway, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. Uh, We've got some wireless Shimano news, a story that Dave Rome broke on Sunday night, at least Sunday night here in the U.S., plus uh, a bit about saltwater and sand and buying used team bikes. We'll get into that later in the show. First and foremost, though, before we get into any of that, uh, we mentioned this the other day. We have a sponsor for the entire... Year coming up. Continental, which is how you say it. I was on a phone call with them last week with the Continental people, and I was informed that that is how you say it. James is making a face. I think it's going to be a struggle to switch our heads into saying it properly, and I think we will probably fail more often than not. But nonetheless, we are super excited to have Continental on as a sponsor for the entire year of podcast. And in fact, the face of Conti, we've decided, is going to be none other than Shoddy Dave. Shoddy, what are we learning about Conti on today's yeah, episode?
3: Continental. That's it, isn't it? Continental.
0: <laughs> uh, We're just going to call it Conti the entire year so we don't have to uh, confuse I ourselves. Don't know
3: why, I don't know why they've made me the face of a brand where people who have visited the YouTube site or listen to the podcast previously will know that I can't pronounce most words. So... <laughs> Here we go, for a brand that was founded in 1871, which is 150 years ago, believe it or not. Just been doing a bit of research. It's the same year where David Livingston and Mallory met for the first time. And that famous words uh Dr. Livingston, I presume. Anyway, let's get back to <laughs> the continental stuff. So yeah, that happened 150 years ago. Also 150 years ago was Conti started. Here's a fact for you. The horse symbolizes power power it's the original automobile and continental started making tires for the original automobile basically the rubber hoofs that horses run around on that's what they uh that's apparently one of one of the things that the um logos based upon dave i just want to point out that you are you are now
1: officially the voice of continental for us this year and you've already said continental twice <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. If we, if we, if you've got a year of him, like, just give me time to bed in, will yeah <laughs> Continental. <laughs> See, this is all the facts that we want. Lower Saxony, the state where the first Continental factory was located, has a strong equestrian background. Basically, back in 150 years ago, Saxony, where Continental started. Had a load of horses, so that might be another reason why they've got the logo <laughs> with an horse on there. See, I'm telling you, my idea with us testing different chilies every every week is way better than telling people about the horse logo, isn't it? Because obviously, Continental have the black chili compound tyres.
0: They do have black chili compound tyres. You know, we're off to a screaming <laughs> start here. Uh, huge.
3: Isn't it? It's not a great start of us starting with Continental for a full year, but all people got to know is that we've got to say a big thank you to them for being able to like support us so we can bring these podcasts to you.
0: It's very important. Thanks to Conti for coming on as sponsor for the entire year. We have, we're going to do all kinds of fun stuff with them throughout the year. We're going to be giving you more amazing horse related facts I'm sure are going to be coming out at some point throughout the year but we're also going to be talking about the tires we're gonna talk we're gonna talk with the people that make them on occasion uh, you guys have heard some of our sort of deep dive podcasts we'll be doing sort of mini versions of those we'll be providing you a little bit of insight into how they make their tires so thanks to Conti for sponsoring today's episode and next week's episode and Onwards, throughout the rest of the year. Let's get into today's episode. As always, we do want to kick off with the news. So, Dane Cash, what are we talking about today? The news, I think the news should start with with a little
2: cyclocross. Uh, There was a lot of cyclocross action this weekend, actually. It was the World Championships.
0: So, I think we should hand it over to Jose. Talk about some cross. Let's do that. Jose, run us through what happened over the weekend. It was was a good one for for your home country. You guys, you won some bike races over the weekend.
4: Yeah, I I said last week in the podcast that it was not unimaginable that the Netherlands would get four world titles. And they did, Um, starting with the uh, under-23 men, which was actually the best race of the weekend. It was a stormy wind. The water water line was, the foot line was as high as it was all weekend. They had to race through the sand, through the waves. So a lot of drivetrains and brackets and bearings must have been uh, completely sorted over the weekend. But well, that's not my concern. It was absolutely amazing racing. Dutch winner, uh, one medal for Belgium. Remember that. And then the women's race, which was off to a flying start by Denise Betsema, who basically grew up on the beach uh, on an island in the north of the Netherlands on Tessel. But as we saw all weekend, the early starters or the the fast starters were not uh, winning races. And she went off to a flying start, got 15 to 20 seconds, and everybody was like, "Eh, this is uh, such a disappointment. And then the second half of the race was absolutely amazing with a fight between Betsema Anna-Marie who had a fantastic day, the best day of of the entire season, which was great planning. And of course, Lucinda Brandt, who basically won every ranking this year, the World Cup. She's on her way to winning the other rankings as well. And she finally, finally got her world title. There was crashing, there was slipping, there was... um, there was spectacle. It was amazing. It was an amazing ride. It came down to actually the last corner where, um, of, where Lucinda Brandt took the inside corner through crit style, like Abby also wrote on Twitter. And Annemarie Worst took the outside. She lost her balance. She said in the interview that she didn't expect Lucinda Brandt to, to be there and she lost her balance and that the race was over. But Annemarie Worst, who crashed three times, was uh, the best rider on the day. But you have to make zero mistakes. And that's exactly what Lucinda Brandt did. And she's the world champion. And being the best rider of the season, that is, of course, the best outcome. The, the
0: course is really interesting. It was sort of this combination of, of really slick, particularly uh, on the day that the women were racing, very, very slick kind of grass and mud and things like that. And then this really boggy, sand, slow kind of tractor pull kind vibe. Plus, massive flyovers uh plus a flyover down into the beach it was it was a fascinating course and one that definitely did reward those who could just ride clean that's what that was kind of the overarching theme for me for the entire weekend is the riders that won tended to be the ones that just sort of made the fewest mistakes which isn't always the case sometimes it really is sort of a fitness test this one felt more like you know if you could stay on top of the gear and you could stay clean you were gonna have a good day.
4: World champ, or defending world champion, Celine Alfarado. She crashed in the first corner, and that was her race over, together with uh, three times world champion Sonakant. So that was that was an interesting dynamic, and you could see in in her body language that she basically gave up after that. On Sunday, the circumstances were a little bit better. It was a little bit warmer. Um, uh, the the wind had died down just a little, and the sand was a lot drier, meaning that we saw. Absolutely insane speeds through the sand pits. The under 33 women's race was won by Fem Van Empel, the nineteen-year-old uh, Dutch rider who was the rider who kept her head coolest. She was. Um, it was a very fast start by Inge van der Heide, and just like the the women's elite race, she kind of dropped back, and then we saw this this great battle between two Dutch girls and the Hungarian Blanca Vos. And then we everybody was looking forward to the race between the men. But it was actually the most boring race of the weekend. Because in lap three, both Mathieu van der Poel crashed. He broke his saddle, so he had to go into the pits. And shortly after that, when Wout van Aert had a 15 or 20 second gap, he had a flat. And then Mathieu van der Poel made up that 20 second gap in no time. Increased his lead to 15 seconds. And it was over. And, and Wout van Aert also said in the post-race interview... I couldn't get back mentally on top after that flat tire, and it was almost a third of the course that he had to ride with a flat tire. So that is that is absolutely devastating. But I should add that Mathieu van the pool, despite the flat tire, was the best rider overall, especially on that hill where he did where he, where he rode on the hill, unclipped his pedal at 21%, clipped it back in, and still climbed three seconds faster than Wout van Aad. It was it was crazy.
0: Yeah, well, well definitely looked like he kind of mentally cracked there and as he said after the stage or after the race he he definitely did. He you could see it in the last couple laps he just didn't he wasn't able to put himself sort of through the the physical agony that was going to be required to try to pull that gap back. It would have been nice you know, to not see that flat tire, I think we would have had a, at least a battle longer further into the race perhaps. Uh, but is what it is, you know, not flatting, not hitting things that these are all part of the sport, uh, kind of reminds me of like all the way back to the, uh, Rio Olympics where Peter Sagan, remember flatted in that cross country race. And everyone was saying, Oh, well he would, without that, he might've won. Well, can't flat and win bike races. <laughs> that's sort of, that's part of the skill set is not hitting things. So yeah, uh, definitely not the uh the most exciting race of the weekend but that rivalry continues right i mean they were they those two had a gap within the first lap there's no one anywhere near them and yes it's it switches back to vanderpol this particular year but could go right back next year i i, I love this rivalry it's it, to me it's the tightest closest sort of most interesting rivalry in men's cycling at the moment. I,
4: th- I think this was the, like the 150th battle of their career on road, on on in cyclocross, and and Van der Poel has said that he wants to go to Fayetteville next year, which is not uh, easy because you you're in a different time zone. You have to take at least a week uh, with the jet lag and everything. And they have got their road road careers to figure in um, into the equation as well. But yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing title yet again by, uh, by Mathieu van der Poel, and, he, and the stupid thing was Vout van Fanat was the only reported flat tire all weekend.
0: <laughs> just bad luck. Yeah, I mean, there definitely wasn't. It wasn't. What was the uh, the worlds a couple of years ago? Was it the Czech Republic? And Luxembourg I think? That when quarry. there were like just little. Lux- Luxembourg yeah. yeah there's little murder mur- little murder rocks underneath the snow the whole time uh, yeah it was just uh, or underneath the mud I should say Yeah, that's that's anyway. what Van
4: der Poel said as well unlucky he said uh, in the post race interview he like yeah you don't want you won't, you don't want to race decided with bad luck but I have had my share of bad luck in the past he had I think five or six flat tires in that world championships in Luxembourg so yeah it was uh, but in the end the best man won the best woman won so it was uh, it was great it was a great weekend.
0: Good cross weekend. Now, Dane, road racing. There, there was some. There was some road racing.
2: Uh, I, maybe we should talk about the sort of off-the-bike news first. Uh, the reveal of a kit. Uh, most Ooh. teams had revealed their kits. Most of the World Tour squads had rolled out their 2021 kits. We're still waiting on a few as of uh, last week. And one of the big ones that we were waiting on, a team that has a pretty flashy... Uh, flashy kit that really stands out always. Uh, so one that people are waiting on. EF unveiled their kit, and it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting because of the story, the marketing around it. I guess you could say. Uh, the kit itself, I think, is okay. I don't, I don't mind the kit. Uh, it's nice,
0: bright pink. Well, so this is, it's just a troll. It's just them trolling the UCI. That was, that's kind of the whole point, right? So after the duck kit, whichever everyone will be aware of uh, at the Giro this year, they got a bunch of fines from the UCI for basically changing their kit, which is, you're not really allowed to do. You can't really change it in the middle of the season and you can't do, they, they broke a bunch of rules about the way that kit has to be designed. Uh, UCI rules about the way the kit has to be designed. So, this year they made a kit that is just covered in rules. (laughs) That's literally the entire kit. It's pink with like the sort of, you know, little demarcations and lines and notes and things like that that all indicate where things have to be on the kit, where the logos have to be placed, how big they are, all these other things. It's just a straight troll of the UCI. My favorite part, though, is I think, you know, they're calling it the most compliant kit uh, ever, right? Because it's literally following the rules of the UCI uh to the letter in fact they're written on the kit but then they made it bright pink which they're probably gonna have to change for the giro because because it looks kind of similar to the maglia rosa it's a different shade but it's still a pink kit and they're probably gonna have to change it so it's not actually the most compliant kit uh ever should have been like purple or something
5: we've kind of said that about many many kits I feel like that, oh, but when it's Jumbo true. Visma races the Tour, they'll have to, you know, change their kit because it's too yellow. And and they didn't have to do that. It's and true. And EF's kit has been pink the last couple of years, and they've not had to change it even, you know. They did, but then they got in trouble for it, so. It
0: wasn't quite this pink, though. This is, like, very... I want to jump in just because you said they got in trouble
2: for their kit for the Giro. Now, all right. I like EF and I like the kit. I want to put that out there before do I say. Do you like this. ducks? Okay. Do you
3: like ducks as well, though?
2: Ducks are cool. Yeah, that, they're all good. Um, they didn't get. They didn't get in trouble. They actually got exactly what they wanted at the Giro. They they wanted to get fined. They wanted to get fined so that they, they could did. do this. So actually, no. They wanted to get fined so they could do that last year and be and market the fact that they got fined which was great marketing for them cuz they could say, "Oh, we got fined. We broke the rules. Darn." And and now they've they've also like laid the groundwork for this kit by getting fined. So everything happened pretty much exactly as they wanted. They broke the rules knowing they were breaking the rules. This was not a situation of them saying, "You know, we don't know what's going to happen." It was like, "Oh, we're supposed to no, do it's... this thing, submit the kit. We don't want to submit it probably because they didn't want it to get leaked." And well then executed. they got fined. And now they have been able to market it. And
1: that works out for them just fine. So, What I love about this is that the team is getting, the team and their sponsors, Rafa in particular, is getting all this publicity and it has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with actual racing or race
3: results. Which is what you need in 2021 like you did in 2020 at the start of the season. (laughs) But no, what what cracks me, not cracks me, but I feel like, the RAFA team and the F team behind design, like the naughty kids at the back of the class, they've previously gone off and not done their own work very well or done broke some rules like the teachers should set, come in the next class and then done it all perfectly to the letter T sat, sitting there waiting for the teacher to check their own work cheat, and waiting <laughs> for the teacher to go mental and then when the teacher doesn't go mental, they're just going to sit there smugly knowing <clears> that, yeah, yeah. We're ahead of the game here. I just feel like they're a little bit smug with what they're doing more than anything.
0: It was it was just a very well-executed marketing maneuver, as Dane says, which, hey, well-executed marketing maneuvers, there's nothing, that's not a bad thing. This is what more cycling teams should be doing because every time you execute a marketing maneuver well, you potentially make your team more interesting to a new set of people, right? This is exactly what every single professional cycling team should be trying to do right now. EF is kind of the only one capable of doing it, largely because they have the quite intelligent marketing apparatus of Rafa behind them. Yeah, I, so I agree. I mean, it's a good marketing move. It, it was then
2: and it, it is now. I mean, you understand exactly why they're doing it. I, for me, when I think of the kids in the back of the class when I was a kid, they weren't growing up to be polished marketing professionals. <laughs> uh, they so might have been. I, I have a hard time... <laughs> uh c- conflating the two uh yeah it's a, there's there's a little bit of cynicism Dane, here Dane, have you heard have say.
1: you heard of this this drama regarding GameStop? oh yeah can we, can we talk about how how the kids who were maybe not at the head of the class or maybe not doing well traditionally or you know not the ones who were most likely to succeed are now gaming the system
0: i mean it is it is a it's a quite spectacular uh shift in branding for Rafa, right? I mean, Rafa for a very long time was was what's the what's the Latin phrase "Enduris Gloria" or something like that? Uh, glory and suffering. That was their you know black and white photography, uh, grainy you know this whole vibe of like sort of core roadie. We'll never do mountain bike stuff. We don't like dirt. We just want to ride on you know beautiful tarmac in our black kit with a white armband. That was that that was Rafa for a very long time they have to their credit noticed that the that the broader cycling world is kind of shifting away from that i think and are trying to shift with it and it's it's it is it's just intelligent marketing it's them using this team in a way that well that makes sense for them that that that's going to completely shift well in their hope people's view of what Rafa is. Because if they don't shift what Rafa is, then it, they're gonna be left behind because that brand was, was very much a product of when it was sort of founded in, what was that, like 08, 09, whenever, whenever Simon Mottram started the thing up. It needed to change. This is what they're, they're using the team to help facilitate that change. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cynical marketing maneuver but so is almost everything these days, and uh, if you like the kit, you like the kit, and if you like the team, you like the team, and that's that's the whole that's the whole goal here. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we see more kits from them throughout the year, because frankly, the the size of the fines from the UCI are so small that they make the the benefit is so much greater than whatever the four thousand dollar fine or whatever it was that they got or Frank fine uh, that they got from the Giro, like. You just pull that out of Rafa's marketing budget. It's not. It's like their cheapest. So, ad. it was like their cheapest and most effective ad of the season. Yeah, four thousand bucks. Like, yeah, for the number of eyeballs that they got there, that was the best ROI that they've ever, 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 ever had. So yeah, I would expect that we see more wild Rafa E F kits this year. What what I would like to
1: see now? I'm surprised no one's done it yet. Like so so hey hey folks at Handlebar Mustache, if anyone anyone there's listening to this. Someone needs to come out with a pair of socks that has, like, like the scale on the back of the socks, kind of like what you have for seat posts these days.
0: <laughs> so they're not too yep. long? <laughs> exactly.
3: Spat, there's a British brand, Spats, they do overshoes that you actually cut to length. They call them legals. So you've got to cut them to the right length.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. That's pretty fantastic. Anyway, we'll talk more about Rafa's kits and EF's kits Later in the year, I'm sure. Dane? What's next? Oh, bike racing. Bike racing. GP Marseille. Yeah. Yeah, that did happen, Uh, which uh, the fact
2: that it happened is part of the news uh, here because there have not really been any big road races so far this year. Uh, Not that this was a huge one. It was a UCI 1.1, but, you know, we didn't have a Tour Down Under. We we didn't have a Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race race. there were a number of races that have been already been canceled, and the fact that this happened at all was was kind of a big deal. Uh, so the other you know, interesting, well, actually a couple other interesting things about this race. First of all, a, a climber ended up kind of taking this win, surprisingly, uh, over some sprinters. It, it did come down to a fast finish. Uh, Brian Coccar was there. He did not win, though. Uh, the winner, Jose, uh, was... Aurelien
4: pare It was his first pro win. How about that?
0: Uh, <laughs> what a name Just don't say any of the letters. There's so many more letters in there, but we don't need any <laughs> of them. Millions of letters. Where we're
2: going.
4: Just... We can we <laughs> yeah. can we can call him we can call him PP.
2: Yeah. A really yeah. on PP? A Yeah. Uh yeah. Also there were some you know, safety concerns, I guess, at this race, which this is no- this is nothing new in the world of cycling. Uh, nothing new in the last six months in the world of cycling. Uh we had some uh, some so a truck was putting down lines in the road um, mid, mid race. Is that accurate? Like yep, like line painting. Yes,
4: line painting. Just a huge, big truck on the descent, and I've ridden that descent. It's about between eight and twelve percent. So they were going pretty fast. So in the corner, kind of a blind corner, one of these motor motorcycle guys were waving flags frantically, and there was this huge truck just painting lines <laughs> mid race. And they only passed there once you know they they could have stopped five minutes that was it five minutes and everything would have been everybody would have passed but well it was probably a busy day line painting in the south of france
0: at least they had lines down for the race exactly
4: they didn't have any lines on that climb if i remember correctly so
0: i once rode over a recently painted line that i did not realize was recently painted and spent like a month chipping bits of reflective paint off the bottom of my bike so hopefully no one ran over the fresh paint that's a real bummer yeah
1: well i was gonna i was gonna say i mean it's i'm glad that they had fresh lines for that race although if that paint was still wet they now have a lot more lines than they probably bargained for
4: (laughs) well this this road is covered in lines because it's a very popular spot for motorcycle guys who are just uh, doing speed tests there so the entire this skit marks everywhere it's a very scary place to oh, be. Wow.
2: There was also uh there were a number of photographers that were pretty close to the finish line as the sprint happened, so yeah, a couple of safety issues that maybe w- want to
0: get worked out before they do another race. Um uh, d- just a, just a, a a quick note on the photographer thing. So, um I- I've covered a, a a number of smaller French races uh, over the years and it's, this is kind of a recurring thing where they sort of forget how fast they're going to come across the finish line and st- stick the photographers like 30 meters past the finish. And then the other thing that you have is they don't often at these smaller races, they don't tend to be... Like yeah, there's the big you know there's the Corvosses and the Getty and you know there's there's the big professional photographers. There's also a bunch of like just dudes from the local paper with like a five hundred dollar DSLR just hanging out at the in the photographer zone who don't really know what's Having going the on day or really of their know lives. how to get out of the way and things like that. Having the day of their lives, like you can always you can always tell the blogger or something like that, uh, but they don't really know what's happening. Uh, in this particular case, not. Their fault, more the uh, more the organizers' fault for putting them way too close. Just, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you look at that finish and be like Dad, yeah, This is going to be fine. This is going to be great. Like, there's plenty of room, uh, and as a result, there's a photo of I think it was maybe Cocard, um, who's bike is just completely sideways with his front wheel, like, off the ground, because he's basically trying to flick the whole bike out and around the photographers as they come around at, whatever, 60 kilometers an hour, or whatever it was. Not a great finish. But it did happen, at least. We had a race. Which it did. It, it happened. Which is and the, something. And the guy that won, the guy that won, really briefly, to talk about Aurelien, uh, 24 years old, his yeah as you said he's kind of like a climber gc guy historically like if you open up pro Stats and you pick and you and you click on his name that you know it gives you little bars to sort of like what races he's done well at basically like what when you time trial is sprinter gc gc bar is the biggest he's you know he's 16th at the giro last year that's a pretty solid ride for a 24 year old granted won by a guy that was about the same age uh but still a solid ride for him so given this kick I wonder if in the next couple of years, we're going to see him kind of come into his own here. And, you know, he could be a potential contender at things like the Ardennes or, or, or any of these races that have, uh, I'm thinking, you know, sort of like a, a, a Julian Alaphilippe type figure who's got clearly got some power, got some power to wait, but can also do a bit of a kick at the end. So I'm I'm intrigued to see what this guy does. And, And these smaller races are often a really good opportunity to kind of, you know spot riders who are going to be a big deal in three or four years uh you know just because our tour de france winner this year was so 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 young doesn't mean that always happens 24 is still young for a professional cyclist we can see him develop and and become a big deal in the next you know half decade or so
2: hopefully he will have chances
4: uh wednesday we are racing again in france and uh it's uh, it's it's happening <laughs> the first stage race it's happening
0: it's time Although, and then it's going to stop for a bit, and then it's going yeah, <laughs> to start a, a again. Number of
2: race, a number of other races since we last podcasted have been canceled. Uh, I think most notably, there, there were some races that were just coming up that will not be happening. Uh, Volta la Comunità Valenciana is the big one. Uh, a lot of big names had been slated to start their seasons there, uh, among them Egan Bernal. He will not be doing that, unfortunately. Um, having He'll have to look elsewhere for that. Uh, other races as well, that wasn't the only one that, that got... Uh, uh, postponed. And, and this one, was officially postponed. There's no set uh, new date yet. Uh, it was going to run from February 3rd to 7th, so this week. Uh, and it, it will hopefully run at some point later in the year. We don't know, though. Um, also, the Itzulia Women, which uh, world tour level uh, new stage race in the Basque Country, uh, also scheduled for a little bit later in the year, has already been postponed. Uh, there was no official announcement of that earlier this week or, or late last week. Uh, but it was just kind of listed as postponed on the UCI World Tour calendar, which, you know, a little more information would have been great. We don't really have much more than that for now. Uh, don't really know if there's going to be uh, any kind of, you know, postpone new date on that at some point anytime soon. Yeah. And then Ride London, another Women's World Tour race, also canceled. Uh, that one just uh, flat out canceled. So the Women's World Tour calendar is shrinking again early in the season. It's already shrinking pretty quickly, which is, uh, you know, not great. Hopefully that shrinking will stop. I mean, there are plenty of events still on the calendar.
4: Well, the the thing with the women is, of course, the the big uh, leaders of the classics teams are already scrambling for a place to start their season. But the women have, if I'm correct, no race left. Apart from one crit kind of race in Valencia this weekend before Omloop with They have nothing left. No Dubai Women's Tour, no Valenciana. Everything is cancelled. No races before the omloop. Zero.
0: Yeah. American champion Ruth Winder, for example. I know that she just got home from team camp on Tuesday. Normally she would have been at Tordon Under, which she won last year. Uh... But yeah, she's she's not going back over for a little while because what's the point? There's nothing going on over there. So it is, it's It's going to be a very sparse uh, beginning to the women's calendar, unfortunately.
4: The Australian women have the most miles now with the uh, Santos Festival and they have the national championships, three races. But in Europe, it's it's down to one single race now in Valencia, a one-day race, if it's going to happen this weekend.
0: Yeah, and that's not really going uh, to tune up the legs <laughs> one one-day race. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of motor pacing in the women's peloton's future, I think, over the next couple months. Speaking of motor pacing, or motors, how about that segue?
2: Um, I'm anxious. I can't wait.
0: <laughs> it's time for a debate. Motorized derailers versus non-motorized derailers derailers you didn't know where I was going there but Not I I, knew, I saw you? the finish line I knew I was going <laughs> to get there that was a pretty stellar segue <laughs> I have to admit well done well
3: done
5: <laughs> alright we are back for another debate last week shoddy won 65% to 34% Freshed. that Dude, makes me happy that makes me yeah. very happy wow an incredible incredible just bulldozing of dane cash Poor Dane, <laughs> Who, and he's not even here to yeah
0: who's not even in the chat anymore he cannot defend sorry dane i know what it feels like to lose i just i know what it feels like to lose you know it's a sad it it hits you right in your gut but he'll, he'll come back He's resilient.
5: Yeah, we'll have him back. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a ton more debates. I know that some people uh, were not stoked that we didn't have a the women in the debate about um, the best transfers, but we will have a debate solely dedicated to the best transfer of the women's Peloton coming up. But for now, we are diving into our very first tech debate, something I think James has been anticipating quite a lot.
1: I, f- I first want to say that Abby kind of kind of steered us into doing a more sort of straightforward tech debate here because my original idea for a debate between myself and Shadi got shot down, <laughs> and I'm quite disappointed about that, and I just want to say that we are going to have to revisit this subject at some point in the near future because I refuse to let this one go because it's going to be the merits
0: of hair versus no
1: hair.
3: <laughs>
0: I think that's a fantastic debate topic
3: better be quick because I'm getting sick of this lockdown, lock, so I'm definitely going to have to get to the hairdresser sometime in the next couple of days. I'm struggling
1: to see.
5: <laughs> when you when you get a haircut, you have to text us and immediately because we'll jump on a phone call and we'll do a quick debate.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, we, we could potentially even do this when you're sitting in the chair getting your haircut. That would be great. Be
3: I, great. D- I don't think the French hairdressers would be too happy about that. They're miserable at the most at best of times. If there's a camera mm. there, they'd be even, even more miserable than ever. <laughs>
0: What are we debating?
5: All right. So you all heard Kaylee's wonderful segue earlier. We are going to debate mechanical shifting versus electronic shifting. Interestingly, the sides of this debate were, it was a fascinating, fascinating split in who gets to decide which side of the debate. Quickly to rehash the rules, as Shoddy won, Shoddy will get to call the coin toss, and then whoever wins the coin toss gets to decide if they'd like to go first or second. Each person has one minute to debate why their choice is the right choice, and 30 seconds to rebuttal after both sides have said their piece. After the debating is done, everyone on Twitter gets to vote for who wins. So we'll take it to the people. Does everyone understand the rules?
3: Sure. Yes.
5: Alright, this is what I wanted to do last time because you can you can cheat a coin toss because no one can see it. But this you can do it. So shoddy heads or tails?
3: I'm gonna go heads. Hey Siri. Oh my god. Flip I'm a coin. P- oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's heads. <laughs>
0: Serious heads, Shadi, you won. Well,
3: I'm gonna okay. be, I'm gonna be a gentleman. James, take it away.
1: Okay, three, two, one. All right, here is my argument for why mechanical shifting is better. I have m- multiple arguments actually. One, for the most part, it is way way cheaper than any electronic shifting out there. It is also way way easier to work on. In most cases, it is substantially lighter. And another uh, in another situation. You never have to postpone a ride because your battery is dead. I personally know several people who have had incidents during a ride where their battery died. And as much as I love the functionality and sort of like, you know, robotic perfection of electronic shifting, I will say I am a fan of DI2 and even EPS and as well as SRAM ETAP. I still really, really enjoy kind of like that tactile feel that you get at the at your fingertips. Like, you know, you get that really firm click or like you feel things moving, you push a lever and you feel the cable pulling the derailleur on the other end you just feel things happening and that you know that nice little robotic kind of like bzz, bzz, like that's neat and all but i personally still think mechanical is
0: better for most people and time, time. Yeah. that was five distinct reasons why mechanical is better that was impressive i did i did my homework
3: i'm i'm nervous now i'm nervous <laughs> cuz james has just said he's done his homework i definitely haven't <laughs> <laughs> plus james James is a nerd, he? so I'm in trouble here. Uh,
5: yeah, the the one bad thing about having the winner always advance onto the next round is I feel like at one point, like, James is just going to be better than everyone, <laughs> especially if we keep putting James in tech debates, and it's just going to be, like, tech debates for the rest of this, this segment's life.
1: Yeah. No, a- Abby, all you have to do is literally ask, like, you know, hey, James, who won the tour last year? And I'd be like, <laughs> uh...
0: Man, so
5: if James and I debate who is the best women's transfer of the twenty 2020, twenty 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 one season, yeah. then mm.
0: what if we made that what if we be, made the debates a surprise? What if there was no preparation? You just got the question <laughs> thrown oh, at you.
3: <laughs> we could,
5: we could totally do that. Shotty, count me in
3: when you're ready. All right, I, I'm not ready at all, but I'm gonna count you in anyway. We're ready. Three, two, one. Let's take it away. Okay, now you can either be living in the past or you can be like Buck Rogers and move to the future. He went 500 years into the future and he ended it rather well with all the new technology going on there. And look, people, electronic shifting's here. It's coming th- thick and fast. There's even wireless shifting coming from Jorace. So stay tuned for that. It's great. Look, it's easy to set up, easy to travel with. It works. There's no faffing around with, cables and all that lot plenty of people know how to use it without having to have strong fingers <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> this is all basically just just be like well, isn't it elon musk be a futurist look forward to the future it's coming um be prepared um <laughs> it, and it's only gonna get better yeah i'm in trouble Anna. I? I really am <laughs>
0: <laughs> really big I, count, I counted somewhere between three and a half and five reasons.
5: <laughs> <laughs> the rebuttals are going to be fun. James, are you ready to rebuttal? I am ready. All right, count ready. me in.
1: Three, two, one. I will be the first to admit that when everything is working properly, that electronic shifting works better. It is robotically perfect. I've said that on numerous occasions. However, one of the big advantages of mechanical is that if something does go wrong with your electronic drivetrain, what do you do? A dead battery is easy, but let's say you have a dead connection somewhere that you don't know where it is, or like you have a, a circuit that goes wrong or a motor that dies. What do you do? You're kind of stranded on the side of the road. So the only piece of technology that's going to save you at that point is your cell phone
5: time
0: shotty you're doomed <laughs>
3: <laughs> shotty count me in when you're ready three two one take it. all i'm gonna say people is i don't see any certificates behind james's head saying he's an expert and i will also say that in the slack message before we start this is, this is i'm taking you down i'm gonna ruin you dave you're going down <laughs> just keep that in mind when you're voting you could, you're voting for a man who's clearly out to get me. Yes, electronic, mechanical, it can be very good, but electronic, it's coming. Cool it's good. It works when it wants to work, which is most of the time, and it's only going to get better. <laughs> that,
5: one, that was personal. Shotty wins.
0: Like Shotty wins.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, to, to clarify, I, I believe what I wrote in the Slack message
0: was in all caps, I'm going to destroy you.
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: I'm convinced. Shoddy just convinced me. I've switched sides. Oh, man. Shoddy going for the emotional angle.
5: Shoddy, you you made James cry again for the second time in this episode.
3: Is that for being upset or is that humor? I'm hoping it's the latter. It's from laughing. It's from laughing.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, both very convincing arguments and we will take it to Twitter. So... Head on over to Twitter, vote for who you think made the better argument, and you have one week to vote.
0: I think we're going to hashtag it CT debates, so you can go find it.
5: I would say fair game, but Dave, <laughs> <laughs> Shoddy just went for James in that last bit. That wasn't even about bikes. That was about James.
3: <laughs> all right. Hey, well, there's no firm rules out there, is there? No. Mm. Right then. I'm all right. All right. <laughs> On with the show.
0: Today's episode is also brought to you by Rafa. Rafa was born from a love of cycling, as I mentioned earlier. They celebrate the sport, revere its greatest riders, and endeavor to create cycling apparel as beautiful as the sport itself Rafa has ambitions to change cycling, make it more accessible and more engaging to more fans around the world. As part of their commitment to further promote and grow women's cycling, Rafa is welcoming two new additions to their elite roster, Lyle Wilcox and Sarah Sturm. Both riders join a collective of elite athletes who share their vision for this future. From Grand Tour Glory on the World Tour, to a new wave of off-road renegades and alternative calendar adventures sarah and lyle embody all that is good about elite level cycling wilcox and sturm join maglie rochette the highly ambitious women of canyon sram and legion of l.a's recently added female riders Skylar schneider avery house and kendall ryan as rafa's expanding commitment to women in cycling actually Know Sarah Sturm quite well. Congrats, Sarah! She used to race against my wife, who's like twenty feet over that way. Uh, thanks to Rafa for sponsoring today's episode. It's time for the segment that we <laughs> want to change the name of. Uh, we don't know what it's called yet, so tell us what we should call it. We can't call it Nerd Alert. We were gonna. We so yeah, we had Nerd Alert as a segment, and then we decided to do a spinoff of this podcast. And we were like, well, let's just call it Nerd Alert, because I don't know, we're terrible at branding, I guess. Uh, And people get confused what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the actual podcast Nerd Alert, which is James, Dave Rome, and uh, our pro mechanic, Zach Edwards, and myself sometimes when they let me on. And that is separate from Nerd Alert, the segment that is in this weekly podcast. So we need a new name for this one. Any ideas?
1: I will say that we we batted back and forth several possibilities for the tech segment of the weekly cycling tips podcast
0: podcast, and they were all terrible. We are gonna. Th- I suggested bird alert mm. with a bird fact yeah, at the beginning of it, no. and no no one liked no, that one. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, Just so, from shaking their so, heads so
1: we are, we are going to toss this out to suggestions, open it up to the floor. So anyone listening to this, if you have a suggestion for what we should call the tech segment of the weekly cycling tip podcast, go ahead and let us know. Maybe le- leave a, leave a comment in the, in the written article that's usually up on cycling tips with the podcast, or maybe fire me a, a, a direct message on Instagram or something. I am at angry Asian. So We'll see what we come up with and I
0: will choose the winner and I will I will allow no input from anyone else. We also need like a jingle. So if you got a jingle oh. and you want to put a jingle together for us, send that over too. I think that'd be great. If you come up with a name and a jingle, that's I mean that's gonna be a, a a compelling package for James to choose. That would from,
1: be a compelling package. Although I am gonna be sad if the if the you know, well
0: when the original nerd alert sound
1: effect goes away.
0: Yeah, although we've had multiple people tell us that like they're listening in the car and they find they find the nerd alert siren to be quite terrifying, so might be best if we just leave that we leave that in the past as a as the you know a relic of the cycling tips podcast. Can we, can we use the, whale,
3: anyway, can we use the whale? sound.
0: Maybe we could use the whale sound. We could totally go back to the whale sound. I would love the whale sound. My favorite whale sounds are still the ones that I make versus the actual whale sounds. <laughs> but we won't put anyone through that. Anyway. The segment yet to be named. Let's kick it off. So first and foremost, we wanted to talk briefly about, uh, well, saltwater saltwater and sand, uh, because that was, that was a lot of it happening, those two things happening at Cyclocross Worlds last week. So
1: this is just a, a very brief note. Uh, so at the end of every pro season, or typically, yeah, around at the end of every pro season, teams will usually, if you know where you're, where to look for, they'll sell off their old team bikes. And while in many cases, a lot of those bikes actually maybe aren't used that much because a lot of them are B bikes or C bikes or something like that. If anyone's looking for a used cross bike and they are looking for something that may have been used at this past weekend's cross worlds, I just want to remind you that salt water and sand, particularly riding in Sandy salt water is not a good thing for bikes. So Bad this is just a word of warning that if you are looking to buy a team bike that may have been used there, maybe exercise some
0: caution. Yep. Or ask for a lot off because you're going to have to replace every single bearing in the yeah, entire
1: because, bicycle. Because, because I believe, Jose, you have a bit of firsthand experience, not so much with the sand necessarily, but with uh, with what salt water will do to your bike, even if it never goes outside.
4: Well, this is unexpected. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, James James has something to say about my indoor bike, which has the most horrible bar tape he has ever seen. Uh, but also, it was leaking rusty water while it was sitting inside for months. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Ooh. Yeah, two guesses where that water was coming from. Mm, not, good.
4: <laughs> not good. So now I got a, a tea towel just covering the most vulnerable parts. <laughs>
1: That's
0: disgusting. Yes,
1: yes. But moving on. So that's just my my little word of warning there. But you know, the real real more interesting part here, speaking of parts, uh, tech editor in Sydney, Dave Rome, he discovered over the weekend some confirmation that Shimano's next generation of Dura-Ace will indeed be wireless, or at least partially wireless. So based on some filings with the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, otherwise known as the FCC, uh, Dave has basically confirmed that shimano is doing something wireless and you know based on all the rumors that we've heard it is going to be the next generation of dura ace di2 exactly what that looks like we still don't really know but we are going to discuss this in a lot more detail in the actual nerd alert podcast this week so stay tuned for
0: that so the big headline news here is we basically confirmed that it's going to be wireless or at least part of it is going to be wireless uh it, it, it i didn't realize that like the fcc would get involved I guess if any sort of wireless protocol, they you have to get a certain what bandwidth. There's I don't know I don't I don't understand. Yeah,
1: I don't I don't understand completely exactly. But I think the, my understanding is you know you have to, you, you know you basically have to apply to use a certain frequency, and you know the FCC wants to know
0: what sort of information is getting transmitted about over the airwaves. Right. So you don't like shift and down a plane or something like that or shift and make a car stop yeah supposedly yes (laughs) or something which would be great actually if you could shift and make a car stop you're about to get hit by a car just shift stop the car be Mm -hmm. great it's a it's a new it's my bill it's my million dollar idea that's an
1: actually an unannounced feature of the new tesla
0: bike (laughs) (laughs) yep as you said we will be getting into that further in the actual nerd alert podcast this we week. are tomorrow as a matter of fact I imagine i want to
5: start my own uh tech bike tech podcast that's called i don't know call zach and it's basically <laughs> just every episode <laughs> every episode starts with me calling zach and i'll just be like hey so my bike is making this sound ding. <laughs> <laughs> and then Zach can talk me through how to fix it and every episode will only be five minutes long and that is the new tech podcast I don't know call Zach oh man you know I feel (laughs) like
1: I feel like that would be kind of a fun little addition to the nerd alert podcast but I'm not really sure how well that would be received just I I personally would find it immensely entertaining
0: but (laughs) not so so. I've wanted to do this for a while I want to do uh, you guys you guys are familiar with car talk on NPR right it's been it's been kind of off the air for a while now uh anyway it's these two guys from boston with great boston accents which is also happens to be where i am from which is amazing and they you just call in and you give them your car troubles often they force you to make the noise like abby just did which is much hilarity and they just try to help you fix your car and i i've often thought that that would be a very fun way to do some nerd alert maybe not every episode but do like a A kind of call-in episode for Nerd Alert, where you know you got to explain what your problem is, what the noise is. You got to make the noise for us on air. I think it'd be a very entertaining episode. You should just do your best, New England. uh, When when you do the Nerd Alert from here on out,
2: (laughs) I mean, as our resident New Englander, you should do your best Boston accent. From from I could drop into Boston. I
0: can drop. No, no one wants to hear me do that. It's no. (laughs) I just yeah.
4: (laughs) I don't know if I don't know if it's a it's a. But I have one mechanic friend as well who does all my mechanic stuff and I and I sometimes ask him questions and he looks at me as if I just asked the most ridiculous thing. So we should have we should have images with it as well. You know, the reaction of the person who actually knows bikes to the question of the person <laughs> who rides bikes but has no idea apart from pumping tires like me.
0: There's like a sort of a basic uh... Well, vocabulary required to even indicate what has possibly happened, <laughs> but that's kind of the fun part.
1: Yo, Jose, I I, I I would like to say <laughs> that that is a brilliant idea for a YouTube video series, which I think we should do. I'm just going to go ahead and announce that right Let's now. Do it. We're going to do this. So, Dave Rowe, by the way, if All you're right. listening, you're, we have some more work to do.
0: All right, we're going to do live live solving your bike mechanic questions on air sometime soon.
1: Yes, yes. At least i just confused. And you have to make the
0: noises. That is a requirement. All right, I love this idea. We're going to be doing it. So please send in your ideas for the new name of the Nerd Alert segment, which is not the Nerd Alert podcast, which is why we need a new name because it's confusing. And also keep an eye out, keep an ear out, because we're going to be doing some live on-air bike fixing sometime soon. It'll be great. James, I think we have one more topic of discussion in this week's unnamed segment. Yes,
1: indeed. Because, you know, we have been talking a lot about sustainability in the bike industry lately. And going along with that, uh, online retailer, or I guess big sports retailer Decathlon actually had a an, an announcement recently that was pretty cool. Uh, they're calling it the Second Life Marketplace. It's going... Uh, going live across Europe this year, and it's going to be applying to adult and kids' bikes. And basically what they're trying to do is promote a circular economy. So they are going to be upcycling parts whenever possible. They are encouraging people to uh, – they're, they're going to have a trade-in program, and they're, they're going to be refurbishing and upcycling and recycling parts whenever they can. Um Part of this, as it turns out, is beneficial because, I mean, they say that they came up with this plan well ahead of time, which which actually makes sense given the timing. But part of this is uh, convenient, given the, the worldwide parts shortages that are going on because of COVID. Um, but more interestingly, I mean, it's just the fact that, you know, this is a company that is built upon selling you more stuff. And they are a sort of, well, on the one hand, they're sort of encouraging you to not buy more stuff. But on the other hand, which which is quite... clever from a business standpoint what they're also doing is pulling in another source of things that they can sell so it works really well on both sides and i just thought that was kind of worth a mention because i just think it's kind of neat Uh, it does obviously involve a fair bit of work on their part um, but the idea that you you could go out and buy a refurbished bike from a big retailer that maybe has some sort of warranty on it or has some sort of certification that would be a lot cheaper to buy that will not end up in some landfill somewhere is really cool. I mean, it's basically sort of like a, it's like a big formalization of, of a lot of like used outfits that are out there right now. Like, you know, pros closet here in Colorado. Mm. that's a big one. Um, but to, to see this being done by a, a big sports retailer is really cool. It'd be the equivalent of like REI or something like that saying like, you know, Hey, we'll buy your used bikes and we'll turn them around and fix pick, pick them up and sell them again.
0: Question. Uh, do we know how Decathlon's expansion into the United States has gone? Like, do they have more of them now? Because I remember they, they started in California. I don't know if anyone actually has the answer to this question, but I, I like I haven't heard of one or seen one where near where we are, but that doesn't mean that they haven't expanded elsewhere. I do not know. I haven't heard anything about it, but we can look into that pretty easily.
3: Yeah. One of the Decathlons, the local Decathlon here just up the road, they've actually been doing the... Uh, recycling or selling on old bikes for a little while now. At pre, prior to COVID lockdowns, they were selling them. So it's not a new thing for decathlon, I don't think. Or at least it's not a new thing for a few of the stores that I've, uh, that I've visited over the years. I think it's just maybe they have rolling it out through all the stores now, rebranding it. Because yeah, you've always pretty much been able to buy sort of their own used bikes before. Whether you can take in a uh, I don't know any old brand and sell it through Decathlon is yet to be seen.
1: Well, yeah. See, here's the thing. I mean, any sort of program of this scale, I mean, it would have to go through some sort of pilot program at first. So I have no doubt that they have been doing this sort of thing on on a, at at least a smaller scale uh, elsewhere, just to see how well it would work. I and mean, because you'd want to, you'd want yeah, you'd want to iron out the kinks before you roll this out on a big big scale like that um so yeah i'm not surprised at all to hear that they have done something like that on, on, on in other stores before
3: and the thing is that decathlon's not just that Ameri- it's not europe-based and america based there's stores in australia uh i've seen a couple in taiwan as well so this is a this would be awesome not just this would be awesome for lots and lots of people around the world not just for uh, a few a few people
0: Agreed, Shadi. I think it's uh, this has a chance to, well, sort of impact a lot of people. I mean, like you said, Decathlon's pretty international. In fact, the U.S. is one of the last kind of major markets that they're just barely stepping into now. Anyway, that's it for today's episode. That's where we're wrapping up. So send us your ideas for the new name of the Nerdalip segment. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody.
4: Bye-bye.